All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here at Youngberg Hill with uh, Wayne Bailey. Today is June 8th, 2016. And Wayne, we like to start our interviews with the same question, and that is, why wine? Why wine? Uh, because I love it. Uh, my, uh, as many of us, we you know, got exposed to it a little bit in college, uh, but back then you couldn't afford the good stuff. And so, you know, for me at my age, I was, you know, experimenting with uh, Mag Dog 2020 and Annie Green Springs and Blue Nun and, and those types of things. Um, so uh, it was in two, it was 1975, graduating from college, that I had my first epiphany uh, regarding wine in that I was at a dinner with my uncle on a recruiting trip and had dinner and had a bottle of Chateau Hombrion from, uh, from Bordeaux. And uh, it was exciting, first of all, because it didn't give me a headache. Uh, and, uh, but of course, it was a beautiful, great bottle of wine, too. So that was the first uh, acknowledgement, I guess, that uh, wine could really be something special to drink. And, uh, and that began my journey of just learning and, and educating myself uh, to a great extent um, in, in that realm. Um, so it was the love of wine that then, as I was uh, consulting, which was my uh, fourth career, uh, uh, in the food and beverage industry, um, I had the opportunity to kind of evolve my consultancy from food and beverage to beverage to beer and wine, and then ultimately primarily focused on wine and, uh, and coffee. To, and it's, it was interesting as I got into doing a lot of work on the coffee side, uh, how similar the demographics were of high-end coffee drinkers and high-end wine drinkers. Sure. Um, so that um, really was how my involvement in wine and in the wine industry um, went. So tell us about how Youngberg Hill became part of your... Okay, well, the uh, I'll give you a little story on Youngberg Hill first, okay. and then how uh, I came into it. Um, Youngberg Hill, the name Youngberg comes from the Swedish farm family that homesteaded this hill back in the 1850s, and they homesteaded uh, 1,600 acres of farmland, and uh, and uh, lived here and worked the land until the 1980s. Wow. So over 130 years, the Youngberg family lived on this hill farming those 1,600 acres. And then finally in the uh, late 80s, they started to sell off uh, pieces of the property. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Norm Barnett uh, acquired 700 acres, which included this hill and uh, which has always been known as Youngberg Hill. The road in front of us is Youngberg Hill Road. Sure. And so he retained that name, and I love history, and so we've uh, retained the name as well. And I love the historical aspect of that, that it's been Youngberg Hill since the 1850s. Sure. Um, anyway, uh, Norm w built this building, uh, which he built as a private residence and a bed and breakfast and it's been operating as one ever since. Um, 
he did not really have any interest in wine or the wine industry or the vineyards. But at that time, back in the, uh, in the latter half of the 80s, while Ken Wright was still the owner of Panther Creek, mm -hmm. he was looking for other places to source fruit from, which was his model back then, still is to a certain extent today. And uh, there wasn't, back in the 80s, there wasn't a whole lot to, to choose from. Sure. So he was out there actually aggressively going out and looking for sites that he felt would be good properties to grow grapes on. Youngberg Hill uh, happened to be one of those sites. And so he uh, talked to the then owner into possibly growing vines here and then sourcing that fruit for Panther Creek. Sure. They did do that. And so uh, the our oldest two blocks of vines, which are 28-year-old vines uh, on Ondroop, Pomard, and Vadensville, uh, which is a rarity in the sure, valley today, sure were both uh, planted then and, uh, and, and managed and overseen by uh, Ken Wright and uh, his vineyard people that were doing the work for him. And in fact, uh, sourced all the fruit and made a Panther Creek Youngberg Hill Vineyard Designate up until 2003. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of a history of how vines actually got originally planted here. Um, where we come into the picture, my wife and I, is in 2002-2003. Uh, and uh, I had just, uh, not just, but a few years prior to that, spent two years in Burgundy. And that was a result of my consulting okay. um, in the wine industry. And I actually went over there to do a consulting job in Burgundy. And during that time there, I uh, got to meet many of the Venerons in the, in the valley and was very pleasantly surprised by the fact that they consider themselves first and foremost farmers. And that resonated with me from two standpoints. One is that I grew up on a farm in Iowa, so I'm kind of a farm boy at heart. But also the fact that, you know, like many of us in, in my era, you know, we grew up around California winemakers mm -hmm. and, and wineries, where it was all about the winemaker and all the magic and art that he did in the winery. And in Burgundy, it was kind of like, pshaw, where it really <laughs> happens is in the vineyard. Sure. And I love that. I love that aspect of it. So when, uh, as I got to know them better and as I got done with my consulting job over there, I decided to stay. And I lived there for about two years, going through two vintages, learning how to grow grapes and make Pinot Noir hands-on. And uh, came away from that experience with uh, kind of the uh, second epiphany that, uh, gosh, I really do love the farm and I want to get back to farming. And what could be better than you know, farming grapes sure. and making wine, which was my other love, and putting those two together. So that began the journey to come out this way. Um, for me, it was a no-brainer to come to the Willamette Valley because A, I knew I wanted to grow Pinot Noir, and B, I knew I wanted to do it in a cool climate. And if there was a C in there at all, it was the fact that I asked a lot of my veteran friends in France if they could not grow Pinot Noir in, uh, in Burgundy, where would they go? 
all of them said the Willamette Valley. <laughs> and of course, Domaine Duren at that time sure. was already here, sure. so there was already a connection. So that began our journey to come out here. Um, when I first started looking, I, uh, I had a connection through uh, distribution that I worked with in Chicago um, with Jimmy Brooks, who uh, was at that time just starting his own label, but he was also the vineyard manager and the winemaker at Maysera and Mamtazi Vineyards. And uh, we just hit it off grandly, uh, partially because of our old world and, his and history, love of history. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the fact that he was, and I was interested in, not only organic farming, but biodynamic farming. And, uh, and Jimmy was great in that if there was anybody that had an inkling towards moving in that direction, he was all about jumping in and helping and being a part of it. And so as we developed our relationship and I started looking for properties out here, uh, vineyard properties. Uh, Jimmy was instrumental in uh, helping me knock on doors, looking at sites that he thought would produce great fruit. And um, there was nothing for sale, but we started looking around, knocking on doors. This was one of the, the vineyards that we, that we took a look at. Uh, I was looking for property that already had some vines producing mm -hmm. because if I could at all possible, I didn't want to start from bare ground. And so Jimmy was part and parcel to that process. And after we got done walking around this vineyard and talking to the then owners, um, we were walking away and Jimmy said, this, this is a good hill, he said. And, and you really had to know Jimmy to know what he was meaning by that because he was kind of like one of these salt of the earth guys. It was all about nature and, and sensing what was going on. And, and, uh, and he made a comment that, you know, this, this, this hill had a good feel about it. It had a good, good vibe, good vein. Um, and, uh, so, uh, we, we had talked to these people and kind of put the bug in their ear about the possibility of selling. And uh, a few months later, they called. And uh, that began the process then of uh, Nicolette and I pulling up stakes in Chicago and moving out to the Willamette Valley and becoming part of Youngberg Hill. You said you knew you wanted to grow Pinot Noir. Was that just because you loved Pinot Noir, or was there another reason you, that that was the, the, the grape you wanted to grow? It was because I love Pinot Noir. And, and if prior to going to Burgundy and living there, I drank a lot more cabs and a lot more Bordeaux than, than red Burgundy and, mm -hmm. and Pinots. Um, but uh, it was a, again a kind of a combination of first of all living and breathing in Burgundy and getting that sense of place and everything else um, that I loved about Pinot Noir but it was also the fact that Pinot more than grapes that I'd experienced in the past really reflected that sense of place mm -hmm. and the vineyard and the, and the weather and, and how it could vary so much just over a short space and uh, and that it was all about the farming as opposed to the um, um, the winemaking 
that really gave it its essence. And, uh, and also the other thing that I found in Burgundy was how versatile it was. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I lost my um, relationship of, you know, having to have white wine with fish and red wine with meat mm -hmm. and that type of thing. That goes all away when you're in, in Burgundy in France and in particular, um, you know, when you're talking Pinot Noir because you, you can get a, find a Pinot that it will go with anything. And, uh, and so that versatility also was a, a reason for my love of, of Pinot and wanting to grow those grapes and make that wine. So you found, you found a spot, you got the call, you, you, what, was your, what was your first step? What did you, how did you take this to be what you wanted it to be? Well, I, it was interesting because uh, we were looking for vineyard property and yet there was this beautiful building and operating bed and breakfast mm -hmm. on it. And initially, um, Nicolette was like, oh my God, you know, you buying the vineyard is one thing, but having this B&B and, and this huge sure. building and, and everything on top, that's a whole nother ball game. Do we really, really want to do this or not? Uh, can we justify doing it? Can we afford to do it? You know, all those things. Sure. And um, at the end of the day, um, we decided that we did want to move forward on it. We, we th again, Jimmy was instrumental in hey, saying, I'll help you with the vineyard. We'll get you doing biodynamics and going down that road. And, uh, and in fact, he hooked me up, uh, Jimmy did, with uh, Laurent Montelou, who at that time, um, he had just left Willa Kenzie as the winemaker there. And he was starting up a new uh, cooperative winemaking facility called Northwest Wine Company here in McMinnville. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jimmy hooked me up with Laurent and because we were coming into the 2003 vintage and it was like, where am I going to make wine? And uh, so I went to Laurent and I was, uh, we were one of Laurent's first customers at Northwest Wine Company. Um, Laurent was great. Uh, of course, he had a history uh, of France as well. Mm -hmm. And so that fit right in with where I was wanting to go in my approach. And of course, Jimmy was uh, the assistant winemaker at Willa Kinsey when Laurent was there. So there was a relationship and tie in there, which was great. So the transition for us coming into that was, was very, very smooth and very comforting. And uh, the B&B &B was a whole nother thing and, and Nicolette jumped into that. And uh, even though we had two young little girls at the time, um, made that work. And, uh, and then, you know, really ever since then, we've been evolving um, this property to being primarily the vineyard, the winery, uh, and, and utilizing the inn as a way to bring people to our tasting rooms, to the wines, and introduce the world to, to Youngberg Hill Wines. It's a pretty unique setup uh, in the area. So have mm -hmm. you how have you found the response? Well, the, it's interesting. The response um, 
out in the marketplace with our customers has been very, very positive. Um, the, the, the only, and it's a very minor negative, is that um, many guests who stay with us that taste our wines, and all of, all of our guests get an opportunity to taste our wines, um, some are surprised because their mindset is that they were coming to an inn and that the wine was just a, an afterthought or a nice thing uh -huh. to have. Uh -huh. And they, they express their surprise in, in how good the quality and how great the wines are. And uh, we oftentimes get people coming back and say, gosh, we've been tasting all over the valley and we came back early because we wanted to have your wine again. And so that's always gratifying. A nice and, problem uh, to have. That, yeah. That's like when people say that your, your daughter was really good in school today, right? <laughs> uh, um, the, the only other thing that has been, uh, I think, a challenge for us from a marketing standpoint is within our own industry. And that is because within the Willamette Valley for until uh, Nicolette and I came um, for the previous 14, 15 years, um, this had been known as a, a great place to stay, a great bed and breakfast. Mm -hmm. Not too much about the wines mm -hmm. uh, because the original owner wasn't interested at all. The second owner was kind of pseudo interested, but they weren't farming the grapes. Mm -hmm. They weren't making the wine. They were having somebody make that for them sure. and everything. And they were just making a little bit, uh, almost just enough to have a house wine and not really to do much much more with it. So within the industry, uh, Youngberg Hill was much, much more known for the inn than it was the mm -hmm. wine. Sure. And, uh, and so even, uh, even though t today, um, if you go around the industry, a lot of the, the wineries, if you were in the tasting room and everything and mention Youngberg Hill, the first thing out of their mouth will be, Oh, it's a great inn. It's a great place to stay, sure. as opposed to, oh, they've got great wines. Sure. And so um, that's been a challenge for us. And, and, uh, but we probably didn't help it by the fact that uh, when we started marketing uh, back in 2003, we, we started with marketing kind of in a way that said, Youngberg Hill, we've got a great in a great place to stay and we also make great wine to about four or five years ago we switched that <laughs> and said you know what we're a vineyard and we're a winery and we make great wines and this is what we do and oh by the way we do have a great place to stay on this beautiful property and the vineyards um, but wine is is what we're here for and uh, and so that's been a transition that's been more recent that is really, really paying off well for us. So that was a conscious decision to yes. go wine first. Yes. And was, that a, was that a matter of having enough confidence in your wine at that point also? Um, I, I don't know if it's enough confidence uh, as, as much as it was just knowing that we'd been working on it for you know, 13, 14 years. Well, at that time it would have been 10 years. Uh, and knew what we had 
and knew that we were making great wines. I mean, we'd gotten great ratings from Wine Spectator and 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 a lot of others out there, and uh, and so we knew we were making great wines. Uh, our customers were telling us we were making great wines, and yet we were still kind of an unknown sure. uh, in the wine industry. So I think that told us that we needed to do something different and really needed for us to focus on marketing of the wines and, uh, and doing things like um, having a tasting room that was open all the time and, and getting better exposure. You have basically two huge businesses that are kind of, kind of combined into one. Two that would be, would be more than enough for most people, I think, having either one of them. So how do you balance having the full-time winery full-time in, how do you sort of balance your time and balance your efforts? Great people. Uh, we have in the, in the inn, we have, uh, we've got two innkeepers and two housekeepers and they do a great job. So unless it's something out of the ordinary, out of normal day-to-day -day operations, uh, Becky and Nathan do a great job of taking care of business. And, and really, uh, from, a, from an end standpoint, um, allows me to um, be a host uh, uh, because we found and get a lot of feedback that um, guests that are staying at the inn or people that are in the tasting room love to see the owner, love to meet the winemaker, sure. you know, that type of thing. Of so, I, I, uh, so Nicolette and I do make a point of coming up here and meeting with guests for breakfast, um, popping in the tasting room occasionally, that type of thing. Um, but we wouldn't have to. Uh, when I go out to the East Coast to, on a wine sales trip, I know that I can be gone for for a week and everything's going to be taken care of because they do a great job that allows me to focus on why we're here which is the vineyard mm -hmm. I take care of the vineyard I manage the vineyard that's that's my love that's what I want to do and uh, and then make the wine and I have a great partner there in uh, Robert Britton mm -hmm. um, who uh, has a facility in McMinnville and uh, I have the luxury of, of making my wines there, uh, which is a great situation to be in. So it's a good setup. Yeah, good it's setup. it's great. In fact, Robert and our relationship is such that we even a couple of years ago bought a, a new tractor together, and uh, use it uh, dedicated for our spraying. Uh, so we just move it back and forth and things and there's not many places that you can do that no. and uh, and do it well and you know uh, Robert's a great partner so you everything you got was established you had an established in you had an established vineyard have you thought about did you think about it at the time you said you were looking for something you wanted roots in the ground already mm -hmm. what was that purely for speed or was there another reason you wanted to have an established vineyard or at least partly established vineyard? Yeah, it was more for money than anything else. I mean, knowing that you have to, if you had to start with bare ground, getting the investment to be made to get plants that were producing and the, and the quality, that, that was a big part of it. Um, but second, and I think why Jimmy uh, was so uh, 
Adam about, about this property was A, that it was a good hill, but B, you know, back then, uh, you know, 15-year-old vines uh, that were on owned root Pomard and Vainsville clones. Mm -hmm. um, there aren't, a, because of Phylloxera, there aren't a lot of those vineyards here in the Willamette Valley right. yet. We're far enough away from other vineyards and isolated enough that when I first came here, I thought, uh, the, I always made the comment that uh, when we get Phylloxera, but I think I can confidently now say if. Yeah we get phylloxera. And uh, if, I, if I continue to manage well, um, there's a good chance that we won't. And so, who knows, maybe my daughters will have 100-year-old vines to work in. That would be the goal. Um, but also, this property allowed us the opportunity to expand. Um, the original two blocks were about 11 acres. And in 2006, we planted the aspen block, which is uh, Pinot Gris, or was Pinot Gris. Um, and that was because we didn't have any white wine, so I didn't have any sources there. Um, and uh, then in 2014, we grafted over half of that Pinot Gris to Chardonnay, mm -hmm. uh, which we're very excited about. Uh, our first uh, crop of Chardonnay is in the barrel right now, and it's of the new Dijon clones, 75, 76, 95, and 548. So those are more appropriate clones to our climate, mm -hmm. and uh, so we're very excited about that. And then in 2008, we also planted another block uh, down in between the Natasha and the Jordan, which is about three acres of Dijon Triple Seven. So that adds another component to the, the wine mix here with those different clones. And, uh, but we've also had to, due to demand, we've had to increase uh, our production. And I'm actually sourcing fruit from three other vineyards as well. You mentioned your daughters, and yeah. so I have two, two questions about sort of family. So the, the first question is the sort of the logistics of, of raising a family while you're, while you're handling this business. So how, how, have you, how have you handled that? How have you seen that uh, play out? Well, um, I think I'd start by saying it's just like owning any business. Uh, that and if you talk to somebody that owns a restaurant or you talk to somebody that owns a, a, their own lumber shop whatever it might be when you own your own business it's it's really somewhat of a 24-hour seven day a week job mm -hmm. um, and second of all usually those kind of businesses are also family businesses so uh, as the girls have grown up um, they have become involved in the business one way, shape, or form. And uh, they're young yet, uh, 16, 13, and 9. So they've got a lot of growing into the business to do. But even now, uh, and again, going back to my farm roots, having them have the opportunity to grow up on a farm and have the opportunity to work in the vineyards and and participate in the family business uh, I think will serve them well in the future and just you know getting a sense of responsibility having good work ethic all those things that I'm I'm biased but I think come from 
growing up on a farm and being a part of a, a family business. So that's, that's all positive. Yes, it's always a balance and, and it's important for uh, particularly me because Nicolette's great at it uh, in focusing on the kids first and foremost. Mm -hmm. For me, it's always important to keep that balance in that I could always make an excuse for not doing something with the girls because of the business. Sure. And so for me, it's important to keep things in balance and remember that they come first and the business second. So, and you, you, it sounds like your goal is that this business will stay in the family for a good long time. Is it something you're consciously direct, sort of hoping the kids will take over or are you pushing them towards it or do you have, do you have a, do you have a succession plan? Yes, uh, of sorts. Uh, I would say we're definitely not pushing them towards it because I think as uh, we've been uh, told and we've seen before and everything, the more you push uh, a child towards something, the more they run away. Uh, and uh, we've seen evidence of that in the past. Um, and also I read a, uh, a great book on the Antonori family over in, in Tuscany. Mm -hmm. And uh, interestingly enough, he had three daughters as well. And uh, all three of them went off and did their own thing. Um, but all three of them now are a part of the Antonori family wine company. Uh, so they all kind of came back and they're all doing their own thing within that, within the family business. Um, again, our girls are young, but we, A, are exposing them to business. They get exposed to not just the vineyard part, which if you asked them today, they'd all say, oh, vineyard work is so hard. Dad's got us out in the vineyard all day, every day during the summer, suckering in the vineyard when in actuality it's probably about an hour a day, three days a week. But, you know, perception sure, of them, sure. it's, uh, but they're getting that exposure. Uh, they're growing up learning about wine and knowing the difference in the veritals and, and knowing what is going in and why wine tastes and smells a certain way and things. Uh, and then they're involved in the business as well and, and during doing activities. So they're, they're getting exposed to it they're getting uh, learnings from everything we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but we're also encouraging them to kind of do what they want to do, to do their passion, mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously what, what we're doing now, uh, five careers later. Um, I hope it doesn't take them that long. Uh, but I, I think it's important for them to, to find out and figure out where their passion is and, and what they want to do. And they all have them. And then, uh, and then it's for them to figure out whether or not they can do that within this environment or need to do it in another environment. So sure. we'll see. Uh, but it's also, I, for, for us coming here and things, the, the practice of farming organically and biodynamically is not just because my three daughters live here on the hill and I want an environment that's safe for them, but also the fact that 50 years from now I want this property to be healthier mm -hmm. than it is today. 
and I believe with the farming practices that we do that will be the case and so my girls will have a, uh, a better environment to work in. Um, it, it's a lot of times in the tasting room or in, in things like this, interviews like this, uh, it's asked, well, are you going to grow any more grapes? Uh, are you going to expand the vineyard more? Are you going to plant Syrah now that we're getting into global warming and all that? Mm -hmm. And my answer right now is that no, that's for my daughters to figure out. You know, I'm very happy with where we are. I think it's premature to plant Syrah up here. But who knows, 10 years from now, uh, when one of my daughters is uh, managing the vineyard, mm -hmm. hopefully, um, <laughs> they may decide it's time mm -hmm. or not. So. so where do you see Youngberg Hill then in the next 15, 20 years? Well, I like it where it is right now. <laughs> uh, we're producing about 2,500 cases a year right now. And uh, when, when we moved out here, that was kind of our goal uh, to get to that to that level. That was kind of a sweet spot for me, me, even though it may not be a sweet spot from a um, profitability standpoint when you look at volume and marketing and, and that type of thing. It is uh, in terms of being able to manage the vineyard, manage the winemaking, mm -hmm. sales, you know, all those things that go into it. Um, so I, I'm very comfortable with that, with that size. Um, the, what, what we, what Nicolette and I hope for is that we have a very healthy, viable entity that 10 or 15 years from now, when one or more of the girls do want to become active in the business, um, that we can turn it over to them. And, that, they, uh, and it, that the business is a thriving business that is healthy, that they can build on, uh, as opposed to something that they've got to turn around. Sure, sure. So you, you talked a bit about your, sort of the, the, marketing, the marketing of Youngberg Hill, and I'm curious, um, in the years you've been in the industry, even though you haven't been in that terribly long, you've seen the explosion of Oregon wine and the, and the number of wineries, the number of wines being produced. So I'm curious how you, how you do market your wine uh, among so many other Oregon brands. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, the, I think it starts uh, with recognizing that we make a unique product. Uh, as well as all of my neighbors do, mm -hmm. um, and, and staying true to that. So to me, that means having the wine reflect where the fruit was grown on the hill and in what weather conditions it was grown in. And if I stay true to that, then there's no one that is going to make a wine like mine. I mean, that because nobody else is growing fruit on this hill. Um, and so if that's what distinguishes us all mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then and then just staying true to that I, you know we're here in the McMinnville AVA which I think is a great AVA we're the the, the furthest south of the ones in the in the North Willamette Valley we're the second closest to the ocean 
so we get a little bit more influence from that. We're one of the highest vineyards in the valley. So the combination of all those, as well as the owned root Pomard and Vainsville clone that I mentioned, provides us with unique fruit that prov then provides us with unique wines. Um, so that's, that's the basis. And, um, and then from then, it's, it's all about the experience. Um, you know, again, not only with the inn, but in the tasting room, or even when I'm in Missouri, uh, tasting the wines and, 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 uh, and doing a wine dinner. It's, it's having people have a great experience with our wines. And, um, and so they want to come back to them again. Sure. You, you mentioned a lot of, uh, excuse me, fairly well-known Oregon wine names like Jimmy Brooks mm -hmm. and Robert Britton and Ken Wright and others like that. What has been your sense of the Oregon wine community? I, it's great. Um, again, having grown up on a farm in Iowa, we were all producing corn and, and raising pigs. Mm -hmm. And we never looked at each other as being competitors. We always looked at each other as being neighbors first, and we helped each other, whether it was, you know, harvest or shelling corn or whatever it might have been. We worked together. We cooperated together. Um, when I first came out here, and not only with Jimmy, but many others, uh, you know, Sam uh, Tannenhill, Josh Bergstrom, everybody was more than welcoming. Everybody was, hey, if you need anything, um, you know, we'll help you out. It was, it, it, I got the same feeling here in the Willamette Valley in the wine industry as I did growing up on a farm in Iowa. Small family farms, uh, looked at each other as neighbors, willing to help in any way. And of course, you know the story with Jimmy, and so you know that nothing is more exemplifying of that as when Jimmy did pass, mm -hmm. that everybody jumped in and you know did their part mm -hmm. in sustaining um, you know the name and the winery and everything that that Chris and Janie are doing now. Yeah. So. Um, it, uh, it it's it's and it's it's stayed that way even though there's twice as many uh, vineyards or wineries out there as there was today than there was um, it has sustained and I think it has sustained because over 75 percent of us are still small family farms and family owned and operated and uh, so there hasn't been the the corporate uh, entities coming in and being competitive and creating that competitive environment. And you have a pretty good perspective, having seen Burgundy and having seen other a lot of other wine regions in, in the in the in the states. How does it compare to say Napa or to say Burgundy in terms of the the feel of Oregon? Well, I always say that uh, Bordeaux in France is more like California and Napa and Sonoma mm -hmm. in that it is much more corporately driven, you know, big estates, a lot of money, um, as opposed to Burgundy, which is, again, the Vinerons consider themselves first and foremost farmers. They're not, you know, they're not operating 
big estates. They're operating two and three hectares mm -hmm. of grapes. Uh, very, very small family entities. A lot of producers are producing four or 500 cases. Um, wow. So it's, Burgundy is much, much, much more similar to, or I should turn it the other way around, the Willamette Valley is much, much more similar to Burgundy mm -hmm. in that regard. And, uh, and, and so it's, uh, it's, again, much more that, that neighborly, we all help each other out, we all benefit from helping each other uh, kind of environment. Where do you see Oregon wine in general going in the future? Well, specifically for Willamette Valley, and uh, uh, I, I, I see two trends. One is Chardonnay. And I always found it interesting that coming here, and since we had come here, that Chardonnay was losing ground mm -hmm. and Pinot Gris was mm -hmm. gaining ground. Uh, up to about five years ago when actually there was more Pinot Gris grown than Chardonnay. And that never quite sat with me in terms of understanding why that's the case. Why was Chardonnay not much, much more popular here? And I think it was probably a little bit of a double whammy. I think it was partially the, the clones that were being grown here and the ability for the, the fruit to ripen. But I also think it was because there was so much overwhelming Chardonnay out in the marketplace coming from California that you know Chardonnay becomes such a commodity. Mm -hmm. Well, that's changing. Um, I think people's tastes are changing. Uh, you've got a, a, an evolution in the in the marketplace. The people are getting away from the the big buttery overly oak chardonnays that the California is typically produced, mm -hmm. and the the uh, the ability and the fact that we're putting in a lot of clones now that are probably a little bit more suitable mm -hmm. to uh, the Willamette Valley uh, weather climate. Uh, so the combination of those two, I believe, 10 years from now, Chardonnay is going to be produced in a larger quantity than Pinot Gris. And I think 10 years from now, we have the, the capability for the world to recognize Chardonnay coming out of the Willamette Valley the way they do about Pinot Noir today. Wow. And I'm very excited about that. So that's one thing. Uh, the other is that I think it's very exciting in that um, we have folks like uh, Foley, uh, Jackson Family, um, uh, Druin, uh, uh, Louis Jadot coming into Alamut Valley and wanting to produce Pinot Noir here. Um, first of all, uh, not that we needed it. Uh, from but uh, from an industry standpoint, but from a marketing com consumer standpoint, um, getting that recognition, if you will, that hey, they want to make Pinot Noir here. Sure. I mean, even uh, Judy Jordan of uh, J Vineyards down in uh, down in Sonoma has come up here and bought property and now is, is, is going to be making Pinot Noir and Chardonnay up here. All of those things say, hey, you know, Chardonnay is where, we, or Willamette Valley is where we want to be. Uh, coming from, you know, from Burgundy, coming from 
California mm -hmm. wanting to make uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay up here. So I, that in and of itself makes a statement, I think. The other is really just marketing clout. You know, you take Jackson family, you take Louis Jadot. Uh, those folks have marketing clout. Each individual one of them has more marketing clout than all of us put together. Sure. And so the amount of, of money and resources that will be spent by those entities on the Willamette Valley um, will be significant and will only raise the awareness and exposure to our valley and, and for all of us that will only be a benefit. How do you find the reaction as you go out into the marketplace outside of Oregon? How do you find the reaction to Oregon and Oregon wine? It, very positive. Mm -hmm. it, uh, I think the, 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 the farming that we practice, the sustainability that we practice is very, very well received out in the marketplace. The wines uh, the, that we produce are also very, very well received. Um, we, we kind of fit a nice happy medium, if you will, in that um, if you're not familiar or have grown up with, with Burgundy, um, uh, a lot of people, particularly young people with, uh, with the Coca-Cola palettes of the American market, sure. um, uh, the French uh, Burgundies tend to be a little bit too earthy and not have enough fruit for them. And yet you go down to California and all you get is fruit. So we're kind of that happy medium in between where you get both. Mm -hmm. And they're in balance. And I, that's because of the environment that we're growing in. And so that's, if you go out into the Midwest or down to Texas or in Florida, um, that is very, very well received. And uh, what's interesting is that uh, people, um, and, and it, they're, they're almost uh, uh, opposite in terms of, first of all, people are very, very surprised um, that we're as small um, as we are in terms of actual production and things relative to brand awareness and and publicity and everything else so you know when when people are coming from new york uh they're amazed at um you know for only producing you know one percent of the volume that california produces right that we've got as much recognition and, and brand awareness as we do. But the flip side also exists in that um, we still will, there'll be people, particularly east of the Rockies, that don't even know Oregon makes wine. Sure. And there are those that um, their perception is, is that, well, we've only been in, you know, making Pinot Noir in the valley for 15 years. You know, because it's been that space of time that the explosion's really taken place in the last 15, 20 years. So you you, you kind of got that side of it too, where there we're still an unknown quantity, which to me is exciting because with us getting as much uh, awareness and recognition and everything as we are today, um, and we're we're really only 
at the beginning, mm -hmm. even though we've been at it for 50 years in the valley growing Pinot Noir. Um, we're just scratching the surface. And the fact that we're only 1% of volume of all the wine that's sold in the United States, um, we got a long way to go. Sure, sure. That's all the questions I have for you. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Anything I forgot to ask that I should have? Any last words? <laughs> Any last words? I'm not ready to do last words yet, okay? Uh, uh, but uh, no, I think, you know, it's just as, as exciting a time that I thought it was back 15 years ago to be involved in Willamette Valley and, and, uh, and the Pinot Noir uh, industry here. Um, I, it doesn't hold a candle to what it does today. Uh, we are just in such an exciting uh, environment right now in terms of what's happening. The, uh, not just the growth, but just um, the, the maturity of the market. And, and uh, you know, we've got second generations. We've got third generations growing up on these family farms. Mm -hmm. All of that is, is uh, exciting. Uh, we've got a, a, a really a tremendous growth in uh, wine tourism coming into the valley, which is not only benefiting the wine industry and us wineries, but the restaurants, the downtown areas. Uh, you know, everybody in the in the valley is is benefiting from that. Even Portland, with people coming in from all over the world. Um, to come and, and taste Oregon Pinot Noir out in the out in the vineyards, so all of that I think is is exciting, and and we're just on the beginning of it, and yet I'm not concerned um, that we're going to become another uh, Napa uh, or Disneyland um, because of the environment that we're in. We're still in a very diverse diverse agricultural environment, mm -hmm. uh, a very sustainable environment, a very um, uh, family, community type of environment that I think is very solid and isn't going, to, isn't going away. So love to be here, love raising my children here, and love uh, the whole environment here. Wouldn't be anywhere else. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much for sitting down with us and taking the time.